Welcome to the Productivity Show by Asian Efficiency, helping you do more and be better. And now here's your host, Zachary Sexton. Hey, it's Tan, the founder of Asian Efficiency, and welcome back to the Productivity Show. Now, a couple weeks ago, I visited my friend Tim Francis up in Canada, and he is one of the sharpest business consultants that I know, and he's a thought leader when it comes to applying the 80-20 principle to business and life. You're going to learn the framework of the five levels of 80-20 that is going to blow you away. Now, this was a really long conversation, so we broke it up in two parts. Next week, we will talk about 80-20 when it comes to growing your business and investing. In the meantime, enjoy today's episode as we dive right into the conversation. One of the things as I got to know you better is, you know, I've always heard about the 80-20. It's like, do the small things, do the little things that give you the most results, right? And I think most people will understand that. But as I got to know you better, what was really interesting is like how you can apply that to different things. Like whether that's life, business, you can literally apply 80-20 in everything. And when, when people first hear about the 80-20 rule, they kind of logically understand it. And it's like, okay, yeah, I've heard that example of like 20% of customers deliver 80% of the revenue, right? Or, you know, back in the day, it was like, you know, 20% of people who own 80% of the land. And... You know, the principle applies, and in and, and some things it's even more skewed. Like the 1% owns 99% of the wealth or whatever, right? But the tricky thing is always, okay, and this is why I always want to make things actionable. And this is actually, in Vernon Hodges' thing, where he talks about the brand promise, right? Which is like, what do people think of when they come across your brand, your company? And for us, it's actionable content that you can apply, Right. So it's always, okay, if you come across Asian efficiency, you know that you can learn something new, but also actually take action on it. And so whenever I hear 80-20, it's like, yeah, that's great. But like, how do we, how do I apply this? Like, give me something that I can get started with, right? And when we've been talking more and more, you know, especially the, the, the curve that you've been talking about, the five levels, and uh, you've been teasing me with this ten-minute thing. You want to you want to teach me? Uh, I you know I want to sort of dive into that and see like what we can sort of extrapolate there. How do you use eighty twenty on a day-to-day basis? I guess like what what is your take on on all of that? I'm I think eighty twenty will be a lifelong journey for me. So let me just begin by saying that that every year that goes by. I feel like I learn something new, a new depth, a new level. And I stand to be a student for many, many years to come. I think that 80-20, by definition, is what is the 20% of inputs that generates 80% of outputs. That still doesn't feel actionable to me, though. Mm-hmm. So to me, my one of my more recent discoveries is oftentimes it comes down to what is the 20% of actions, decisions, or perspectives that makes the 80% of difference. Now that's a little more actionable, but I think to go even more actionable, I sat down and I figured out what I call the five levels of 80-20. And to me, that instantly made 80-20 much more actionable. I shared it with Perry Marshall, another great 80-20 thinker, and it really stopped him in his tracks. And so 
when I hear about 80-20, in the past, I've heard those examples you've talked about. I've also talked, I've also heard about how, like, Warren Buffett's entire 65 or $68 billion net worth could be tracked back to, like, 10 or 12 decisions. Mm. And, and again, very inspiring, but where is the, like, what am I supposed to do with that if I own a business that does between zero and a million in sales or even under 10 million in sales? Like, what am I supposed to do with this idea of how to create a $65 billion empire? <laughs> right. And so um, when I figured out the five levels of 80-20, instantly became a gateway. And ironically or fittingly, I'm not sure what the right word is, it actually showed me what 80% of the 80-20 rule I could ignore. <laughs> right? Mm. So how fitting, right? And how fitting it worked out to being five levels. So I'll just quickly maybe run through the five levels. And then from there, okay. I think that'll help people see where they can plug in. So at the very highest level, that's the Warren Buffett, Richard Koch, highest level. I call that the level five or investor. Oftentimes at that level... The 80-20 entrepreneur or individual is trading money for money, usually. So they're going, they're not necessarily investing a bunch of time or talent or energy as much as they're making a financial investment. There's high risk, high reward, and also high consequence. And I and I've never heard anybody talk about consequence, but I feel that that's a really important part of the, the story. It's not just risk and reward, it's consequence. If Warren Buffett makes a decision to invest a billion dollars, yes, there's potentially high reward for him. Yes, he might lose the billion dollars, which is high risk. But think of the thousands upon thousands of employees, vendors, partners, and whatnot that are all impacted by this decision to invest a billion dollars. Right. The, the scope and impact is vast. Now, every one of these five levels of 80-20 also has an 80-20 as a... a, a a cohort of 80-20 questions and also a series of 80-20 tools for each of the five levels. So at the five, at level five investor, we have something like Richard Koch's star principle, which is two by two matrix. And it says, is this, and it's also an 80-20 question to say, is this company I'm going to invest in the market leader? Yes or no. And then on the other axis, it's is this com- is this company in an industry that's growing by 10% per year or not? And so by looking, by putting his different investing choices in those four, by asking that question, he can place it in the four boxes and that affects how he'll invest. So that's level five. We step down to level four, that's executive. And at that level, it's like you're the leader of the company. Now, you don't necessarily have to have a 20 or $50 million company to be the CEO. You could have a $200,000 a year company. And even if it feels like you're not a CEO, you can still, in fact, do level four executive thinking and tools. And at that level, a question would be like, how can I 10x this company in the next two years? Or what market could we enter or what product could we develop that would disrupt or revolutionize the whole industry? So when, when somebody decided to take movies... And instead of renting them from Blockbuster, we're going to stream them online. That decision, that was like a level four executive decision. It was changing industries. Uh, Richard Koch has an amazing concept 
it's like the two paths to simplify, which I'll share with you in a few minutes. I've been talking about this with you as we've been traveling through Canada. <laughs> and been, we, we've been waiting for the right moment for this. Yep. It's, it's phenomenal. It's what I paid 10 grand to, to go learn uh, from Richard Koch at his event a few years ago and the topic of his next book. So level four executive, you might say that uh, a question might be also something like, how, how could I deliver this product at 30% the typical going rate. Just see where that question takes you. And at that point, we start getting into some of what we're gonna talk about with Simplify, but companies like Ikea came out of a question like that. A company like Walmart came out of a question like that, and it changed their entire industries. Now on a, on a more like humble level, I myself as a consultant inside of Profit Factory, it's been great. Um, I've been able to raise rates over time as I've been learning more and becoming more valuable to my customers. However, at the same time, I realized, you know what? I don't want Profit Factory's growth to be limited by my ability to do consulting. Right. And so I asked myself the question, this is another Richard Koch question, what would I have to change about my company to maintain or increase profits while working only one hour per day? Now, this is not a four-hour work week, drink the Kool-Aid kind of question. This is this is a really important question. I've, I've also, I, I once had a mentor ask me, Tim, what would you have to do to replace yourself within the next six months? Mm-hmm. And then, in the, you know, once you do that, do it again, do it again, do it again. And that's when I realized I needed to create some subset of Profit Factory that would be separate, that would be not consulting, that could be executed by people other than me on my team. And that's when I came up with the concept of Great Assistant, where we help entrepreneurs get an executive assistant. So that's level four. Level three, if we come down... Um, I call that manager. This level, this is kind of about managing the people and teams and projects within your company. And so an 80-20 tool would be something like Scrum or the Colby test or any of the psychometric tools like um, StrengthsFinder. Those are all 80-20 tools because if you think about it, you can give somebody a Colby test and for $49 and maybe 45 minutes of their time, you're able to instantly understand how that person thinks and works when it comes to their cognitive instinct. That's one heck of an 80-20. Yep. As you know, I've helped like six, 700 entrepreneurs with their Colby instinct. And like literally how I thought about planning this trip was influenced by knowing your Colby score. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty interesting. I remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how... Like, you know, with some people, when you go on a trip, not only do you get to know them better, but it's like you kind of have to feel out, like how they go about things. It's like, okay, do they want a lot of privacy? Do they want to spend, you know, more time? Do they want to have everything pre-planned? Do they just want to go with the flow? You know, and uh, like I'm the type of person usually that like if I go somewhere, everything is pre-planned for the most part, like 80% with a little bit of wiggle room for, for things, right? But some people are just like the complete opposite and just show up and like, okay, let's just figure it out day by day, right? And so we, <laughs> you're like, hey, can you take the Colby test? And then uh, that will give me a better idea of like how I'm going to plan this trip. I was like, okay, yeah. So I took the test. I gave you the results. <laughs> you're like, okay, you're a high fact finder, so I'm going to give you a lot of details and uh, you know, high follow through, so you probably want to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, oh, Okay, that makes sense. I'm like, but then the the 
the thing that stood out that you told me was like, it only matters when you're striving. Yes. Right. So even though I like to have everything pre-planned, I like to have a lot of details. Mm -hmm. Like if you give me a business plan, I want to know details, right? Not just on a high level overview, but like details, like as much as possible. But then this trip, I was just like, hey, dude, I haven't seen you in a while. Let's just hang out. Right. You know, so no details, just like, all right, we're, I know we're going to go to Jasper. We're going to go to Banff. We're going to go to Kelowna, do some wine tours. But in between, dude, I'm easy. Let's just hang out, you know? Right. Yeah, there, there's people who will say, well, sometimes when I come home, you know, I'm a high fact finder, high follow through. So I like to have a strategic plan, a lot of details. Um, but when I come home from work, I don't care. I just want to eat. You know, or, <laughs> right. and it's like, but Tim, I thought I was, a, I thought I needed a strategic plan. Well, okay, but here's the thing is if you don't, if, if, you're, if, you, if you're not striving towards accomplishing a goal or solving a problem, then your Colby score doesn't apply. Yeah. It's, yeah. So that that's a really big distinction I think a lot of people miss. Yeah. And what's interesting was before I came on this trip, I had everybody take the Colby test. On your team. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. And like you said, that's kind of the 80-20 of working with people because it actually answered a lot of frustrations that I had. Right. <laughs> Not because, like, it's their fault or it's my fault. It's just, like, how we work together. Right. And it's, like, uh, you know, to give you a simple example, uh, after seeing Zach's Colby score and you explaining to me how he works and how he functions, I was like, Oh, okay. This is why he excels at this, or not, not doesn't excel at this, right? So, me as the CEO of Asian Efficiency, I always try to put people in a place where they do the best work and put them in a place where they can succeed. Right. And now that I understand Zach's Colby score much better, I'm like, okay, this is what I need to do. As the you know, last night we were talking about being the CEO as a resource manager. This is what I need to do to make sure that Zach, Zach succeeds in his role as he grows and everybody else on the team as well, right? And, and the more empathy that your team can have also towards your Colby score, the more that they can help you to be doing the right things as well. Right. As CEO, you're you're exposed and influenced as much by your Colby score as anybody else's in their role too. Exactly. And so when, when I took the test and then you explained it to me, mm-hmm. like one thing I never knew, I kind of knew about myself, but it wasn't until you told me, it was like, I like a lot of details. Mm. And so... A lot of frustrations I had in the past was when people come up to me with ideas, it's like, okay, I like the idea, but, like, give me details. Right. And so now everybody on team knows, like, when they come to me, they have to give me details right. because I will always ask for them. Right. So, like, it just streamlines certain things. Yeah, so the the practical application there, because we're talking about the practical application of 8020, you spent $49, you took the test, the company spent whatever dollars to get everybody else to do the test. Mm-hmm. And now instead of some, and so now that you understand that you need a lot of details, you can, with a single sentence, say to people, if you have an idea for me, I'm happy to see it. I'm happy to entertain it. Please be sure to bring me details. I'm going to need probably some case studies, some stats, some facts, um, some references, supporting why you think this is a good idea rather than just a free-for-all brainstorm session. Right, yeah. You give them that one sentence, and now instead of them coming to you saying, Tan, here's my idea, and you send them back, and this ping-pong three, four, five times you go back and forth, 
maybe now it's only one or two rounds. Yep. Exactly. Right. And so now with one test, one sentence, (laughs) one insight, you've now generated hours upon hours upon hours of saved time, energy, and company money. Exactly. Yeah. So going going back to the 8020 level three, we're talking about managers, mm-hmm. right? So one of the tools was using something like Scrum or Colby. Yep. Um, what would be like an 8020 question that people would ask at, at like level three? What is your Colby score? <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. So, uh, and I'm being I'm being kind of funny. I mean, it, it is it is in fact an 8020 question at that level. Um, but another question, and this is related to Scrum, would be to say. What is the single what is the single process or step that's generating 80% of the roadblocks and bottlenecks of us producing our work? Mm. And you might find out, geez, this one piece of software crashes repeatedly and we end up getting bottlenecked at this one step. Right. Or maybe it's like, hey, we've got this video editor overseas. <laughs> And it's just not working out. Or you might find out that there's um, a decision tree that needs to be created. Like, hey, this gets roadblocked or bottlenecked because we're perpetually waiting for Tan to give his judgment call on mm. this, you know, project. And and if Tan took an hour and sat down and defined how is it that Tan makes decisions to approve or reject or request a modification on a project, now TAN could come up with three to five decision-making guidelines and instead of, and maybe maybe you wouldn't eliminate 100% of the bottleneck, but you'd probably remove 80% of the bottleneck if now all of your team members yep. knew, hey, if it's less than $50, just fix it, right? Mm-hmm. If it's, uh, you know, make sure we double-check everything before release mm-hmm. or... To get a little bit more specific, maybe it's something like, you know, a checklist of eight points that you need to see in every video that gets edited and put out. There needs to be an intro bump, an outro bump. We have to put music credits at the end. It needs to be from this music playlist, you know, one of these 15 artists, or here's three websites to go get corporate music from, or whatever. And by defining what those decisions are ahead of time, now team members, instead of having to come to you 80% of the time... They can just lean on the system or the decision-making guidelines or the approved list of vendors or whatever that is, and now that's no longer the biggest bottleneck or roadblock in the production of a video or an episode or whatnot. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because that used to be a problem where quality control had to go mostly through me, Mm. and I realized very quickly, okay, I have an eye for detail. I know what's good quality. I know what's bad quality, but if I... You know, in the beginning, the the tricky thing was, okay, as the CEO, it's like, okay, you have a team of people, and this is kind of like where Scrum comes in. It's like you have a team of people doing the work, and then you have, you know, people doing quality checks and quality control. And in the beginning, when you do Scrum, it's kind of like as the CEO, you kind of have to be not just the product owner, but you help team members as well and just dive in, right? And then over time, you get a little bit more strict about those separate roles. Uh, but that's a whole different story. Um, so in the beginning, it was very much like, okay, Tan needs to approve this email, needs to approve this, approve that. And then over time, I realized, okay, if I have to approve every single thing, like we're never going to grow as fast because I'm the bottleneck, right? right? 
Right. And so over time, through lots of training sessions, like like you call them decision-making guidelines, uh, we call them operating principles, copied from uh, yeah. Sam Carpenter, Work, Work the, the system. system. Great book, yep. Who has been on our podcast before. And that in itself, you know, eliminated a lot of friction. Then the process of TAN needs to approve everything, figuring that out. And then from there, it was just like things get approved so quickly now, you know. And even on this trip, I've been away for, what, eight days. I'm probably going to be away for another three days. So a lot of things are still moving because I don't have to check things. Right. Because people know this is what the quality standard is. This is what we expect. Here are some things to look for. Here's a checklist. Here's an SOP for that. And that is like, that was a game changer. Absolutely. Yeah, I know when I gave my executive assistant, Sarah, some decision-making guidelines on how to handle my email inbox, then she could handle my inbox. And like you, I'm on this trip for eight days. I'm going to go home, and there's going to be no welcome home avalanche of 500 emails. (laughs) Right. And, And the business is going to keep ticking along while I'm away. Could I go away for eight months? No, I'm not at that level yet. But eight days, absolutely no problem. Bulletproof. Mm. We are good to go every single time I go in a trip like this. So what is this then, this level two? Level two I call skill. And level two is any kind of technical skill that you might learn, be it managing Facebook ads, be it... Um, creating websites, whatever the business is or skill that you might have, that's level two. The world of, for example, internet marketing is loaded with level two training. Mm -hmm. If you go and take any digital marketer course on how to do email marketing or anything like that, tons of training out there. Any of the online courses that you see, if we, if we ask like, what is an 80, 20 question at this level? That would be very specific to whatever the skill is. So mm-hmm. if it's managing Facebook ads, we might say, what 20% of audiences are bringing us 80% of our clicks? Yep. Okay. It, uh, if we're talking about, if the skill that a person has is cooking, we might say, what 20% of ingredients do we use 80% of the time? Mm. And let's put them nearby so we don't have to run all over the kitchen. Yep. If it's, Training, personal training, if that's what a person's doing, it's like what 20% of exercises get used 80% of the time when we're training our clients because let's go and, cr- and actually let's let's do a double 80-20 there. What's the 80-20 of the 80-20 of exercises mm. that we always have our clients do because those would be the videos to go and shoot and put it as free content or use it in video ads or something like that. Right, right. So it's obviously very specific to whatever the skill is or whatever the, the service is that or product the business delivers. Mm-hmm. But at the skill level, it's like what is that frontline skill that we deliver, you know, or operationally, what is the, the tactical or technical ability that a person has? Yep, yep. Right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the eighty twenty questions. Some of the the tools that you might get out of that, it's like, you know, and you and I – did some burpees the other day. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so to pull like an exercise example, that would be an example of an 80-20 exercise. It's a compound exercise, many muscle groups. You don't need equipment to do it. You can do it in any location. It doesn't require a lot of space. Big time 80-20 in the world of exercise mm-hmm. as an 80-20 tool, if you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
just to make sure I understand, with those five levels, we're about to go to level one. But yep. with those five levels, you have an 80-20 question mm-hmm. and you have an 80-20 tool. So far, that's my insight. Yeah. M- you know, maybe in five years from now, there'll be a third something. But so far, as I've implemented 80-20 in my company for years now, I've discovered that at every one of these five levels, there's questions and tools. And so the more that we can understand what kind of 80-20 questions exist, as well as the tools that are at our disposal, as well as what level we spend most of our time at on a day-to-day basis, Mm -hmm. then we can pick up the right tools, ask ourselves the right questions. And why this is so important is I attended Richard Koch's presentation a few falls ago. And when he asks a question like, is your business in an industry growing by at least 10% per year? And are you the market leader? Or he asks a question like, what would you have to maintain? uh, What what would you have to change about your business to maintain or increase profit while working only one hour a day? Like, dude, I've been spending like three years trying to answer that question. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like these are huge, big questions that, can be all-consuming and intimidating, really. Mm -hmm. And it's good to know them, and it's good to act on them. But in the meantime, like, you know, when I was talking to Perry, he he gave me such a funny visual. He's like, the guy who's, like, picking, you know, belly button lint out of his belly, like, what does he do with 80-20, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Super funny to think about. And it's like, I I am that guy some days, you know, right? Right, right. So, you know, and it's like, okay, so while I'm in the process of you know, launching great assistant into this new service, new industry, whatever, what can I do in the meantime? And it's like, oh, well, actually on level two, when it comes to skill, actually let's pick level three. What's one of the number one bottlenecks as far as how fast we can bring on clients into great assistant Mm -hmm. is how fast I can manage the Colby tests the, how fast I can do the intake interviews, how fast I can do the the matching between entrepreneur and assistant mm-hmm. and manage all of that. So if, if that's a level three 80-20 issue that I'm running into on route to answering the level five question. So let me, let's, let's just use the tools. Let's ask the questions at that 80-20 level, level three. And the answer was, well, I better go hire somebody mm-hmm. to go do this for me. Yeah. So then that bumps me into a level four question. Now I'm acting as CEO, building this team underneath me. And the question is, who would I be able to hire who could, who, who's not only done this kind of work before, but done it at twice the level that I've ever done it at? Mm. Think about that. Because it's one thing to say, I'm going to hire someone and train them from scratch. Yep. But that might take three to 12 months to get somebody up to speed. Yep. What if we went to the next, you know, what if we put that on quote unquote steroids and said, what if we could hire somebody who from day one already knew how to do this? All right. of a sudden now you get to fast forward 12 months in how fast you can build that part of the company. Oh, but wait, we can put that on even more steroids. We can go on Russian Olympic doping program scale <laughs> here. <laughs> and, and, and say, I don't want to hire somebody who could do this in 12 months from now. In fact, I don't even want to hire someone who could do it immediately today. I want to hire someone who's done it at double the level than I've ever done it before because it means they're already going to have experience of what's coming ahead when this company's twice the size. 
Mm. And so, as you know, I hired Nancy to be on my team. Yep. And twice now, she's been an HR person in companies when they were less than 10 million in sales. And she stayed with them until the company was doing over $100 million in sales. So she's seen the whole gambit. She has seen the whole thing. Yeah. She's been employee four at companies before. Right. And, you know, by the time she left the companies was employee number four of 500 or a thousand employees. And so as far as all the growing pains around the legalities, around the hiring considerations, the inevitable complexity that comes as HR departments grow, Mm. she's seen it all. Right. And so now she's actually better than me at this one area. And right. yes, it'll take maybe three, four months for her to get up to speed and understand the process and whatever. Yeah. But the upside, the ceiling on what she can bring to the table is extraordinary. My thinking had, if I put that on, what 80-20 thinking in that sense is kind of is like, the better the question you ask yourself, the better the results you get. And the more appropriate the question. Right. So if if I have a small company and... I have to run around and manage AdWords before lunch. After lunch is like do billing with customers. <laughs> and then after hours, go and learn about 80-20 or something like that. And I'm operating in all these different spots in the five levels. Mm. It's no use to me if I ask a level five super high-end question when I spend most of my day in level two. Right. If I spend most of my day, I'm a one-man band. Let's say I run a Facebook agency where I manage Facebook for other companies. Don't worry about answering the level four and level five questions again and again and again and again. Mm. Hang out in level two and say, you know what? Let's not worry about anything else. I'm just going to figure out what is the ad group here that, if it's Google AdWords, that is generating you know, 80% of the clicks. Yep. Once you figure that out, now you can charge more. And as you get better and you can charge more, testimonials grow, credibility grows, you can charge more, bigger clients. And now that's the way you're using 80-20 to grow. And then at some point you'll have so many clients that now you need to hire other people to work underneath you. Right. And now you graduate into level three. And then after that, once you have a couple people managing a few different areas, you can spend more and more time up in level four and say, can we specialize in a specific industry that would be very scalable, that's very profitable? Mm-hmm. So I'm describing a bit of the road that I took before Profit Factory ever existed mm. because we did a lot of online marketing for countless different industries. And, you know, I did get a handful of people working underneath me. And then I got to the point and I said, okay, well, look, if I'm going to answer this Richard Koch question of working only one hour a day while maintaining or increasing profits... That means I would probably have to pick a very specific niche, like one industry, one kind of product in that industry, and become so good at it that now new team members that I bring on don't have to learn all of AdWords or all of an industry. They can learn just one niche, just a few tools within building funnels, and let them roll it out. And be in an industry that's growing. Right. Ideally. (laughs) Oh, and PS has money. Right. So so we looked at all the industries we had clients in and where, and we didn't, this is kind of like, this was absolutely a level four 80, 20 analysis was to say what industries, what 20% or less of industries bring us over 80% of our revenue. 
Mm. And it was glaringly obvious. Like it was, it was, it was almost laughable mm. how high the margins were in the one industry that we went into. And we actually went from charging $20 an hour to $50 an hour to $100 an hour to then going on a per pro, on a per project basis, except it was still called, we'll set up a landing page, we'll set up your AdWords account, et cetera, et cetera. To then we went beyond that and said, we're going to set up entire funnels. And then we went another step beyond that and said, we're going to do lead gen. So whether it's internet or not, or whatever, we're going to just get human beings showing up, you know, at your doorstep, dear customer, and then it's your job to sell them. Mm -hmm. And by the end, we were selling entire funnels for $30,000. That's a bit of a better price margin for us than selling the same funnel for five, you know, (laughs) right? (laughs) or for $20 an hour or whatnot. But the thing was, is we selected an industry where there was money and a customer was extremely valuable in that industry that people were okay with paying that Mm. like to us yeah that's the hardest thing is like asking the right questions the appropriate questions and uh i guess like understanding the five levels and then we we've got to talk about level one next but understanding the five levels then kind of like putting your hat on and say okay what's the right question to ask myself for this and then what's the tool I'm going to use for this based on what you're asking yourself? And, you know, the, the tricky thing is, are you ask like, the self-evaluation of, like, is this the right question? Right? Mm. And that's, like, is that a trial and error approach? Or is, is it something where when you ask the right question, you just know, like, oh, right, yeah, no, this is the, the question. Yeah, so I think that I think that this is we're starting to get into the value of, like, community of having masterminds and having mentors and having programs and coaches. Mm. Um, Because, so first of all, I'll say this and let this be a thread of hope to anybody is that there's always an 80-20 question that can help you out or many 80-20 questions that can help you out. And there's always one or many 80-20 tools that can help you out. So if you're in a position where you're like, oh, geez, like, it's impossible to find good people. Like I've heard a lot of entrepreneurs say that, right? <laughs> right. And so it's kind of like, okay, well, an 80-20 question would be something like, who could I talk to who's already successfully built a team yep. that could give me insight into the specific next steps to take? Mm-hmm. And so whatever your answer is to that, go talk to that person. Go to an entrepreneur who's done, who's bigger than you. Go meet a mentor, join a group, join a mastermind, attend an event, whatever. Yep. And ask and let, and just see like what answers come up again and again and again. For me, when it came to hiring, like, holy smokes, as I was asking that question, I just heard Colby so many damn times. I was like, for goodness sakes, like, what the hell is this thing? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, you know pretty quickly that, you know, what the best tools are and the best questions. Qu- questions maybe not as often because surprisingly few entrepreneurs actively think about 1820 on a regular basis. But as far as tools, you'll, you'll sharpen your reticular activating system. You were talking about that yesterday mm. to be able to see 8020 tools when they pop up. So... When you keep hearing about, oh, go read the book Who by Smart and Street. And you're like, okay, I've read that book like recommended three, four times on hiring. You're like, okay, I better go read that thing. Right. And now that book and the method that they have, that is your 80-20 tool 
for, or, or let's say one of the 80-20 tools that you'll use to go build that great team underneath you mm. in co- combination with Colby, in combination with whatever other tools you come across. Yep. Now, one thing we haven't talked about yet is the level one of the five levels of 80-20. So level five was investor, level four was executive, level three was manager, level four was skill. Level two. Oh, level skill. two. Sorry. Yeah. So level one. Talk to me. Talk to me. Level one. Level one is personal. And this is something I actually really admire Asian efficiency for is you guys are one of the best on the planet on helping people with level one. Gracias. Yes, most welcome. In fact, that's how I first knew you was as, <laughs> as, a, right. as a customer and consumer of your, of your content. And then it was super cool. Um, just earlier this, uh, well, I guess last year when I met or earlier this year, when I met you in person for the first time, we hit it off. And so level one is called personal. And unlike the other four levels, level one actually affects all of the other levels. Mm. Level one is at, it's like a foundational base at the bottom. And it doesn't matter if you spend most of your time in level five or level two, if your level one is shaky, you're going to be compromised in level two or three or four or five. Likewise, if it's strong, the way that you'll perform will be far better in levels two through five. So level one, a level one question, 80-20 question would be, what single habit could I acquire that would radically improve my personal performance on a day-to-day basis? And that might be something like a morning ritual. Mm -hmm. It might be like daily exercise. It might be journaling. It could Mm -hmm. be anything. Mm. Um, An 80-20 tool might be something like OmniFocus, where how I show up and how I manage myself is enhanced because it's organized with a tool like OmniFocus or Mm. GTD or a blend of the two or whatever. Right. I think that the world of self-help and self-development, like 80% of it exists in level one. Like a lot of Tony Robbins is all in level one. Pick your, I mean, pick your poison basically, right? So not to say Tony Robbins is poison. (laughs) (laughs) So origin efficiency is poison or anything. And this isn't limited to just business. It's personal as well. So another 80-20 question at level one would be what one or few relationships bring me 80% or more of my frustration on a daily basis. Mm. And that might be the person you're married to. <laughs> it might be. I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. Um, although, like, sometimes it is better to just end a relationship. Right. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, we've we've seen stories of, of I mean, most often we hear stories of, of celebrities and high-end CEOs and athletes or whatever, but it's like, that one relationship changed and instantly they soared. Mm. And it could be because they ended a relationship or we could take the flip side of the same question. What one or few relationships bring me 80% or more of my personal happiness and then figuring out how to double down on those. And maybe there is a loved one, a boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, that if we spend more time with them, we just feel phenomenal or maybe it's our kids or something like that. And now we perform at just an astronomically high level. Right. So it could be personal. It could be business. It could also be, you know, spiritual. It could be physical. Holy smokes, Tan. So when I had my literally crippling illness years ago and I couldn't walk for three months, that was a failure at level one, right? Because mm-hmm. if, right, that's my personal performance. 
Yep. And that one illness almost bankrupted me personally and within my business. Mm. And so... Yeah, like if you can't work, then... What are you going to do? Yeah. Right? right? So, and you know, if you can't work and you haven't set up the team or the systems to do the work for you, then you're absolutely hooped. And at that time, I, I was basically hooped. You know, I needed... Uh, like my mom made a few mortgage payments for me. I think I was like 27, 28 years old at the time. I was coming from this really high, exciting, high-flying place to being literally grounded, you know, like do not fly. And it was a very low point, a very, very low point. And that came down to me not managing my level one the way that I should. Mm. And it absolutely affected every other area. So now in my mornings, I do, you know, three, four times a week work out high intensity CrossFit type stuff. Um, and it makes a huge difference. I'm like awake, alert, ready to rock, mm. well-fed before I meet that first client or team member for the day. Yeah, and that's really what we're doing at Asian Efficiency mm. is like playing at level one, helping people level up <laughs> right? at level one. Yeah. And, and, and remember that level one affects if a person spends most of their day in level two or three or four or five. So a multi-billionaire could take an Asian Efficiency course or product or suggestion or even a simple blog post and could become a more effective investor. Mm-hmm. You haven't necessarily taught them how to like read the markets better or invest in startup companies in a new and exciting way. However, you've helped them improve their personal performance because right. now they have more energy focused attention or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I want to emphasize it's not that level one is less important than two, two than three, three than four, four than five. They're all important. And in fact, I view them as being almost like a slippery slope in a sense. And so I experienced this right before you and I left Edmonton, Canada on our trip is I had a level two skill person on my team. Something just fell apart and they didn't do the work that needed to be done on the schedule that needed to be done. And that probably had an issue to do with the way that I level three managed them, right? Mm -hmm. Going through all the levels here. And I was stuck doing the work and it was arguably $5 an hour to $20 an hour work. And I was stuck doing it for like 20 hours. It was horrible. It was last minute. It was brutal. And I slid down the 80-20 curve because that part of my company underneath me had a leak in it and I had to go plug it. I had no other option. We were launching a product. It was not good. Mm. And so all five levels matter. And level one is arguably the most important because it's the foundation for the other five or the other four rather. Right. And I know you have a video on, on all of this. So if you're listening at this point, you're like, okay, can I see something visual or is this, you know, explained in another like segment or whatever, like Tim has put out this awesome, awesome video. I'll make sure to put it in the show notes so you can refresh and and see it. It's at profitfactory.com forward slash five levels of 80, 20. And it's the word five, F-I-V-E, levels of, and then the number eight, the number zero, the number two, the number zero, five levels of 80, 20. Cool. We'll make sure to put that in there. 